You know, this time of life for our young people as they're going off to college and, and for those entering high school and junior high is an exciting kind of life, exciting period of life. Uh, I know for many that are coming into the senior year, you're probably already done. You're probably already cooked and you're ready to go on, but you got this last year to finish to, to step away. I know I have two grandsons that are that way going to the senior years. They're done. They're ready to go on. It's such an exciting time of life. There's so much that, that seems urgent for you. And there are so many, so many habits that you are developing in this period of life. Some that are good and some that are bad. Some that will be beneficial to you in life and some that you will spend the rest of your life pulling weeds over because of some wild oats that were sown. But it is a, a marvelous time of life and I think it's a time of life that ought to be embraced and ought to be enjoyed. I know there's a, be a period of sadness for parents that are leaving their children at school and coming back and I will remember those, those days. I remember dropping both the kids off in Florida and, and leaving to come home. But I will tell you as parents, it, it, it's okay. Uh, you'll live and they will too. And, uh, and you'll be delighted to see the kind of growth they have. But I'm reminded especially of this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. When Paul says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct in love and spirit and faith and in purity. I don't think that Timothy was probably the age of the young people I've just, seven young people I've just talked about. I think probably he was a little bit older. But I think still the admonition that, that Timothy gives in a general way in a general way, applies to these young people, and in a more general way, applies to all of us, obviously. But he said that no one despises your youth. Now, the truth of the matter is, there are some people you can't keep from despising your youth. There are some people, because you're young, they're just going to say you're young, you're dumb as dirt, you know, know straight up from backwards, you don't know whether you're coming or where you're going, because you're young, you know nothing, you, you have nothing to offer anybody. There are some people just going to say that. There's some people that are older that think because they're young, therefore they're ignoramuses and they, they cannot make good judgments and good decisions on their own. There's just some people going to think that. You're not going to stop some people from, from, from despising your youth. I remember when I was a lot younger, I remember someone saying, when I was a lot younger, one of these days, you're really going to be a good preacher. And now I go places and they said, you know, I bet one day you were a really good preacher. I don't know when I ever passed. Jordan, watch it, buddy. It passes, you don't even know it. Oh, I remember, I remember teaching something in class and, and some sage, wise person coming out and saying, where'd you get that? Did you learn that from your daddy? Your daddy didn't teach you that. No, I learned it from the Bible. Novel thing, you can study for yourself. You know, you can think for yourself. Here's a novel thing, you can think for yourself. But some people are going to say, you can't think for yourself. It's in neutral, and until you get to a certain age, you don't put it in gear. That's just going to happen to you. Some people are going to despise your youth. On the other side of that, Paul is telling Timothy, don't give people an opportunity, a reason to despise your youth. And be an example, he says, of believers. Be an example in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and purity. You be that kind of example. And if you are that kind of example, no one will have a reason to despise your youth. And if they despise your youth, then you still respect them and show them the kind of example 
that you are. But this morning, I want to look at four examples with you. With regard to, can a young person be spiritually minded? I believe a young person can. just, Just from the book of Ricky, I think we err seriously. When the first thing out of our mouths toward young people is, is to begin to tell them how hard it is to be a young person and all the things that are going to happen to them as a young person and they're never going to make it as a young person. And then they make it and we're surprised they do because we had already condemned them not to doing that. What if we turn that around and began to put an expectation on our young people to say, we know you're going to make it. We know you, we know you can be righteous. We know you're going to be spiritually minded. We know you're going to serve the Lord. And put that kind of expectation there as opposed to the expectation of failure. You know, the Lord puts the expectation of success on us. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, he said, That which good work I began in you, I will complete. He didn't say, That good work I began in you, I'm not sure about you. He said, That good work I began in you, I will complete. The Lord put the expectation of success on us. And I think we ought to have that kind of complimentary appreciation of the kind of young people that try to serve the Lord, as I think these young people are. But I'm reminded of Daniel. Of course, his story is age-old, and you're familiar with that, but if you'd like to be turning to Daniel chapter 1, we'll read a few things from there in just a moment. And as you turn there, remember with me some things that happened with Daniel. Daniel, of course, is on the peripheral of the royal side of things among the people of God. And in 606 AD, uh, BC, 606 BC, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in and he basically just took Jerusalem over. He kind of left it as a satellite for a while. And 70 years later, in 586, under the Persians, they came in and, 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 Babylon, and, uh, and Jerusalem was, was laid waste by Nebuchadnezzar and by the Persians. But Nebuchadnezzar brought back Daniel and his three friends because here was the rule. When you went into a country and became the conqueror of the country you brought back those who you thought were the best. Everybody else were the dregs. And then what you waited for was for the dregs to put enough together after you had raised things, totally destroyed things, to come and offer the ransom to buy them back. And if after a while you did not come with a ransom, they sent Cousin Abdul's head back to you in a bag. Well, this time, it wasn't going to be their head. This time, there was something about Daniel and his three friends that the king saw that he thought he could make them into Babylonians and take their Jewishness away from them, their Hebrewness away from them. It began by changing their identity. He was going to change their names. Every one of these names were after one of the Babylonian gods to speak about the Babylonian idols that are there. So he's going to name them not names that represented Jehovah, going to name them names that represent their Babylonian idols. And they thought also that they could re-educate them and re-educate them, brainwash them to think in Babylonian terms and Babylonian philosophies and Babylonian theologies. Don't know how old Daniel is at this time or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as their real names are. Don't know exactly how old they are. So I'm going to speculate and, and Please understand, I'm speculating here because it's hard to really nail down their ages. But they probably were between the ages of 16 to 18, maybe as old as 20 years old at this time. Which are really young. 
I mean, you think about this. You think about, here are our young people, 16 to 18 years old, and they're fixing to go off on their own. I remember being really young. It was three days before I was 21 when Cody Glenn was born. I look at my grandson now, it's 22, and I'm thinking, you are not ready to be a father yet. And I was already one with another, another one expecting. Sometimes God helps take care of those who are too dumb to take care of themselves. But that was me, not Jody, I must tell you. But you think about how young that was and how young these young men were. And they come, and, and, and here, here's, here's the motive for why they were taken. They were good looking. You see, they left ugly ones behind. Because the ugly ones could not be smart. The ugly ones could not be re-identified. But because they were good looking, therefore they must certainly be able to be highly educated and to be taught. And I tell you, I'm not sure that we have gotten over that. I think we still measure people's intelligence and highly by how good looking they are and if she's kind of homely and he's just ugly as dirt then he can't be too smart and she definitely can't be too smart and so we kind of put them to the back bench but if here's a young girl that's beautiful and young man that's handsome they got to be smart or they wouldn't be beautiful and handsome I'm not sure how we connect the dots on that but we still had that superficial kind of evaluation of people well Daniel comes and the head guard comes to Daniel and says, here's the king's drink and here's the king's food. Eat. And Daniel says, in verse 8, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Did you get that first part? Daniel purposed something in his heart. This wasn't a decision Daniel made in the moment. What I would say to our young people, not just those leaving home, but to our young people at large. There's something you have to determine beforehand what you're going to be and who you're going to be. The kind of person you're going to become that Jordan talked about. Those major decisions are made whenever you determine the kind of person you're going to become. And that's what Daniel had done. And so Daniel makes a deal with with the head eunuch and says, look, I tell you what, you leave us to our own meals and you let us eat what we think we ought to eat because we're not going to defile ourselves with what the king, eat, with what the king offers. So, so here's the deal. Verse 11. Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servant for ten days. Let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you. The appearance of the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies as you see fit, so deal with your servant. So he consented with them on this matter. And tested them ten days later. At the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Let us not defile ourselves. Let us make the choice of what we're going to eat. And the eunuch did, and they ate, and they prospered. Here Daniel made a decision, I'm not going to defile myself. I can't imagine, I can't imagine the position Daniel's in. If he's between ages 16 and 18 years old, then, then he, he and his four friends are taken away and mom and dad aren't there. Their security blankets are gone. 
They're in a land. You talk about foreigners. They are foreigners in a land. And if, if you leave school, leave, leave, leave here where things are comfortable, and you go and you feel like you're a foreigner, keep in mind Daniel felt that same way. But Daniel, for 70 years, for 70 years, for 70 years, served the foreign kings. And Daniel, for 70 years, turned the minds of these foreign kings toward his God. And it began here at a young age when he purposed something in his heart. You know, when, when you're away from home and you can, find, you can find bad company anywhere. I'm not making this a negative statement about anything that has to do with Florida College at all. Dan Petty told me when he was dean of students, over 10% of the students get sent home every year. There's trouble there too, just like there's trouble at OU. And there's trouble at Collin College. And there's trouble in high school. You can find trouble wherever you want to. But you don't have to choose to participate in it. You don't have to choose to drink. You have to choose to do drugs. You have to choose to engage in sexual immorality. You can make another choice. And the choice you can make is, you have already made your mind up, you're going to be a Christian. And the choice you can make is, like Daniel, you're not going to defile yourself. You're going to help be an example of faith, love, and purity as a believer. What a marvelous example Daniel is. If you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. There's another great example here. Just amazing young woman that appears here in Luke chapter 1. And that is Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know... We've kind of relegated Mary to the back burner because of all the religious nonsense that's said about her. And what we've done is we've missed a lot of important lessons that come from this young girl. But in Luke chapter 1 and verse 28, it says, Now the sixth month an angel of Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what man, manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and be forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? Again, speculation about how old Mary is. But in Jewish culture, sometimes young girls 12 and 13 years old were given to be wives and were bearing children. There's some speculation that Mary was between the ages of 13 and 14. Again, don't know exactly how old she was. But notice, first of all, what is said about her. She found favor in the eyes of God. Here's a young woman in this society that found favor in the eyes of God. And by the way, she knows the birth process. And she knows it's not, you don't have a baby because you've had no intimate relationship with a, with a partner of the opposite sex. She said, how can this be? I've not known a man. I, I, I can't do this. She knows something about that. 
And knowing something about that, she's kept herself pure. Our world today, again, dumbs down morality and dumbs down and doesn't give young people enough, enough credit for having the sense to know between yes and no. But young women, you don't have to give yourself to a young boy in some kind of, as the Bible says, knowing way. And young men, you don't have to pursue a woman, young woman like that. You can help her remain pure. And Mary says, how can this be? I've not known a, I've not known a man. And so the, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One is to be born will be called the Son of God. And so it goes on to say, it goes on to then say, now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age. This is now the sixth month for who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What are my parents going to think? I'm going to bear a child, I'm not known to man. What are my parents going to think? What's the normal thing that you think when every young woman <coughs> becomes impregnated? It's not Mary. <coughs> She's engaged in sexual immorality, right? Oh, there's one more complication. She's engaged. What am I going to tell Joseph here? <coughs> what am I going to tell him? You see the predicament Mary's in? But notice what she says. <coughs> she says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And what she's saying there is, Lord, whatever you're asking me to do, that's what I'll do. However I can serve you, Lord, that's how I will serve you. I don't understand this, but however I can serve you, I will serve you. Use me to serve you. Now here's the question I want to ask. And I realize <laughs> we have one young woman with six young men going to school. But I've asked this of all our young women. Would God ask you to be married? Would God send you marry? Would God ask you to be the mother of the Son of God? That's the kind of young woman to aspire to be. Now, when Joseph found out, he thought privately to put her away. And then he was instructed not to. And so, young men, here's the question for you. Would you be a Joseph? Would you have the purity of heart like Joseph had to be a Joseph? The third is as well a very popular story in the Bible. If you'd like to turn to Genesis chapter 37 and 39. Genesis chapter 37. Chapter 39 primarily. Here's Joseph about age 17 who is sold into slavery. You know the story. And through a series of events, he winds up being in Potiphar's household. In Potiphar's household, he is such a good 
trustee to Potiphar, that Potiphar puts everything, everything under, under his charge. If Mary was an example of spiritual integrity, Joseph is an example of spiritual, uh, spiritual service. Joseph is an example of spiritual integrity. Look at his integrity. It says, verse 5, So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all he had in Joseph's hand. He did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he's committed all that he has to my hand. There's no greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything, anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day, they did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Notice the, the progression of things here. First of all, it says in verse 6, he left all that he had in my hand. Potiphar trusted Joseph, number one. Number two, he said, look, you don't belong to me. The master's put everything in my house. I care for everything. He trusts me. You don't belong to me. You're not mine. You are his. And here's the third to be the most profound thing. How can I do this thing and sin against God? Talk about integrity in a young man. And notice the last passage we read. Mrs. Potiphar did not just offer herself once this young man. It says day by day. She was relentless in her pursuit of this young man. Which meant day by day, he relentlessly said, My master, trust me, you belong to him, and I'm not going to sin against God day by day, he said that. Here's a young man... 17, 8, maybe 19 years old at this time, maybe, maybe possibly 20 at this time, and has this opportunity for immorality with this woman who's pursuing him, and no one's going to know. Well, someone always knows. And he said, how can I do this thing and sin against God? You see, there was a theology at that time called henotheism. Henotheism said this, the Syrians, when they're fighting Israel, they're losing. And they say, listen, our God's a God of the mountain, their God's a God of the valley. And so if we go to the mountains and fight, we'll whip them. But if we stay there in the valley where their God's at, then we're going to lose. So wherever their God was at, they would win. And where, their God, other, where the opposition's God was at, they would win. Jonah had that same idea. Jonah was a henotheist as well. Jonah said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to flee, and when I flee, I'm going to flee from God. God's over here. God's not going to be over here. I'm leaving God behind, and God won't be over here. So I'm going to leave God over here because this is where God belongs. God doesn't belong over here. And what Jonah found out was is that God's not a henotheist. 
He's not someone just for the mountain or just for the sea or just for where you live. He is a God everywhere. Jacob had that same kind of idea. When Jacob awakes, he said, surely God is in this place and I knew it not. So where do you think he was, Jacob? You think he's back in Beersheba with mom and dad and now he's not here? Surely he's in this place and I knew it not. And I wonder sometimes if we don't become practical henotheists. You see, I'm here. I'm in this church. I'm among these people where I was born, where I grew up, where I have developed, where I have made a home. And when I leave and go to Oklahoma or Florida, I've left God behind. I've left God at the limits, see, limits of where I lived. Or now that I'm on a different campus, and now that I'm out on my own, living on my own, in my own apartment, my God was in my parents' house. And now that I'm on my own, in my own apartment, now my God is over here, and my God will allow me to do this, which my God over here would not allow me to do. You see, that wasn't Joseph. Joseph said, I can't do this thing and sin against God. He understood there was something that integrity demanded of him, and that integrity demanded of him that regardless of where he was, God was there. And God lived there. And whether you stay and go to your own apartment, whether you leave and go off, understand, God's already been where you are and God will be there too and God's standards will be there just as well and then finally turn with me to the book of Judges the book of Judges we come to the book of Judges and we have an interesting young man by the name of Samson he's a young man who lacks spirituality in the beginning but ultimately ultimately succeeds because of his faith Samson is such an interesting story. In chapter 14, in chapter 14 of Judges, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman of Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, who are the Philistines to the Hebrews? They are mortal enemies. God has raised up Samson to be a judge to deliver them from the mortal enemies. And so, he went and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. His father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren and among all my people that you must go and get a wife from this uncircumcised lifting? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Translate, Is there not a young woman that's here that can help you go to heaven? Is there not a young man that can help you go to heaven? Why do you have to take a wife among these heathen, idolatrous people over here? Is there not a woman among God's people for you? I appreciate what Jordan said in his lesson. It may be the person you date is not a baptized believer. But that person has a heart for God. I will tell you, my young friends, there are a lot of people in this audience who were not Christians when they were first dating. But they're here today because every one of them had a heart for God. And if you find someone who has a heart for God, not someone that is among the daughters of Timnah over here who has no concern. You find someone has a heart for God when that person finds God. 
that person will come to God. Because the power of the gospel is that strong. The father asked, is there not someone that can help you go to heaven? We come to chapter 16. And Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Doesn't get much better for him. Again, he's going into a prostitute among the Philistines that are there. He's not keeping himself pure among the people of God. He is committing sexual immorality with the avowed enemy that's there. And then as chapter 16 unfolds, you have how he gives himself to Delilah. And Delilah tries to seduce him to tell her where his strength lies. And time after time after time, he tells her an untruth. And time after time after time, she says, if you love me, you will. If you love me, you will. If you love me, you'll tell me the truth. Why do you keep playing with me? If you love me, you won't do that. And finally he says, okay, here's where my strength is at. It's in my hair. Samson had taken a Nazarite vow. And that Nazarite vow, you are familiar, his hair could not be cut. He could not touch a dead body. Not a problem for me. Although, in that time, it was an honor to bury your mother or father. And I think that kind of plays into something in Luke. When the Lord says, let the dead bury the dead. That young man had an honor to go bury his father. And then he could not drink, eat, could not drink from the fruit of the vine, touch anything that had to do with the fruit of the vine. And so Delilah finds out, and she has his head in cheer. And the Philistines capture him and put out his eyes. Man, this is a downward trek for this young man. He has really marked himself with his own insatiable desire for immorality. It seems like Samson is such a failure. If we stop the story there, it would be true. And I'd like to know more about this. But in Hebrews chapter 11, you find the name of Samson. And Samson is there because of his faith. Because in the latter part of verse 16, it says in verse 25, So it happened when their hearts were merry, they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. Call for Samson they may put on a show for us. Here's the clown. Here's the clown. So he called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them and they stationed him between the pillars. See, what they didn't realize was Samson's hair had begun to grow back out. And as Samson's hair begins to grow back out, his covenant, his Nazarite covenant with God is renewed. They make him play the part of a clown. Place me between the pillars. His covenant with God is coming back in force. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me fill the pillars which support the temple so I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women and the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. And Samson called to the Lord saying, Oh God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me. Just this once, O oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple and braced himself against them, one on his right hand and the other on his left. 
And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. And the temple fell on the Lord's and all the, people who went, all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed his death were more than those he killed in his life. Samson covenant, Samson's covenant with God was restored. And here's my takeaway from Samson. And it's not, it's not peculiar to young people. It can happen to us at any age. And just because we attain some age, some chronological age in life, doesn't mean we ought to let our guard down either. But here it is. We can lose our mind with utter insanity and insensibility being drunk on immorality. And it doesn't have to be sexual. And we can waste our life being drunk on it. But here's the deal. God's grace is always reaching out. And what he wants is a covenant relationship with every one of us. And it doesn't matter how far you've traveled, how deep you've gone, how bad you have behaved. That covenant, because of God's grace, can be restored. Because God's grace extended to Samson. His faith was his means to that grace of God. And our faith that would cause us to turn and plead to God, remember me and strengthen me. This day, O Lord, is the very thing you and I can pray. And so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we've done, how far we've drifted away, how far we have run away. God and his hand of mercy is always extended to us to restore that covenant to us. I love the words of John in 1 John 1. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ cleanses us of our sins. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Because that same one that was a propitiation for not only us, but for the whole world in the beginning, is still now a propitiation for us who have left that covenant relationship, but by grace and by a convicted heart are returning to that covenant relationship, and God will forgive. So what I want you to know from Samson is, failure is not your last step. There's always, as long as there's breath, there's opportunity as long as there's breath, there's opportunity to what? To find your name in Hebrews chapter 11. Right alongside Samson. I think these are challenging people in the Bible to think about. As I said, this is not just for young people. I think those lessons can be made for all of us. But I want to close by just this final exhortation toward my, to my young, brothers, my young brothers and my young sister. Don't let anybody despise your youth and don't give them a chance to. You be like Daniel, a man of spiritual courage. Be like Mary, an example of someone who said, Lord, here I am, use me. And be like Joseph, a young person of integrity. And regardless of where you failed, be a person of faith that finds God. And if you do that, your life will be an example of believers.
Thank God for you all. We love you all. And we pray for you. God bless you. I hope you found something in this that's beneficial for you. Hope you've learned something from this as well. It's pricked me and moved me as well to think about these things. God just wants this. He just wants a covenant relationship with us. So we can grow up to be like him. If we can help, won't you come while we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.